Hey there, thoughtful listener. This is Josh Elledge, CEO of UpMyInfluence.com. I'm so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free. No credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. We're also actively seeking guests for our daily commercial-free entrepreneurial inspiration podcast, the one you're listening to. If you know someone who is doing six to eight figures in business, send them our way. Just go to upmyinfluence.com slash guest. Now let's get on with the show. With us right now, Jason Zilberbrand. Jason, you are found on the web at jasonzilberbrand.com and uh, the company that you're known quite well for, VREF, and that's vref.com. Jason, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Josh, for having me. So uh, explain what VREF is. Yeah, it's a, it's a handful. So VREF is one of two authorized like Kelly Blue Books for aviation. So we provide software and then we print a book every quarter. Um, we have about 700,000 active subscribers that go in every day and determine what the value of their airplane is. Wow. Okay. So I guess when you started, when, when did this, when did you start this or so, how did you start this? So this company, so it's funny, the company and I have the exact same anniversary date, although neither one of us were involved with each other when we both got into the industry. So mm-hmm. I started um, in 94, uh, my family owned an aviation insurance company and that's how I got started in the business. Um, I did that for about 10 years and then uh, we sold the business and I started buying and selling aircraft. So I owned a, an inventory dealership of airplanes, uh, just like a car dealership, except my aircraft were big business jets mm-hmm. and about 95% of them were paper, meaning that I owned the contract to purchase them. But in those days, and I'm going back now to the early 2000s, there were backlogs of six to eight years. So you would buy a plane and then you'd wait almost a decade before you got it. And so I recognized that that was going on. And that was one of the reasons why we stepped away from the insurance business. It was very lucrative and it gave us a substantial amount of, um, of cash to utilize for you know credit facility, but the values of these aircraft are going through the roof. Mm. <clears throat> so I saw that as an opportunity. Um, I basically started purchasing um, positions, position aircraft, future delivery positions. And I would negotiate and buy 10 or 12 from a various you know, number of factories or manufacturers. I'd buy them at one time and I'd sit down and make the payments, do the interior design work and manage the process through completion. And then I would sell them. And I was selling them uh, for enormous profits. It was just crazy what was going on back in those days. So <laughs> 2008 comes along and there's you know more buyers and there are airplanes very similar to what's going on today, uh, especially in like the housing market. A lot of uh, a lot of markets are seeing that the automobile market, exotic car market, boating, basically everything you own is going through the roof in price or value. Uh, same thing back in those days. And the backlogs kept growing. And what wound up happening is that the manufacturers started buying back the aircraft that I owned and they were reselling them to their own customer base. So I was basically holding planes for them as like a credit facility. And I did that through... The, uh, the Great Recession of, uh, of the end of 08, that's when kind of everything blew up. And um, I was basically appraising aircraft full-time and doing a lot of brokerage work, but that business model went away. Uh, VREF, <clears throat> it started in 94 as well, mm-hmm. and it was started by a disgruntled employee of Aircraft Blue Book. <laughs> uh, 
It's how a lot of businesses I find start, right? Somebody works for you and they get mad enough that you're not doing it the right way. So they, mm. they do it on their own. And that's exactly what happened. And within a couple of years of VREF starting, it got a lot of traction. Um, different approach, uh, very standardized methodology and how they were doing things. Um, VREF's written in a contract of a number of manufacturers. So the manufacturers rely heavily on, um, on our data. And over the years, it grew and grew and grew. And then about three and a half, four years ago, I got a phone call and asked if I wanted to, to take over the operations of the business. And I jumped on it. It was a huge opportunity yeah. for me. Um, we restarted our software development at that point. And um, I basically rebranded, rebuilt the company. Um, you know, it was a real interesting situation because VREF, even though it was 20 some odd years old when I took it over, had no real infrastructure, meaning no technology, uh, very basic website, no ability to sell anything online. So no e-commerce. Um, and I was a tech guy and I had a lot of background in that. And so I was like, well, this is going to be a piece of cake because all I had <laughs> to do is bring in all these modern systems, right? And I've got this wonderful company. And so the first thing I did is I started buying up the domain names um, and I bought vref.com, which was a, a huge investment, but the best payoff. I mean, that's like the number one thing I tell people, like if you want to build a business super quick, you got to have a really strong web presence. And it's not so much the content on your website, it's how easy it is for people to remember it. And that's my huge advantage in the marketplace. How do you forget VREF? VREF actually means the landing speed, the VREF speed of an aircraft is its landing mm -hmm. speed. And mm -hmm. it's also a play on words. So it's value reference, and then it's VREF, very easy to remember. And I started building SEO. And there wasn't any. So I was like, well, this is great. I don't inherit anybody's bad habits, right? Nothing was, you know, messed up. Started from scratch. Um, today, we get about 30, 35,000 unique visitors to the website every month. We get, uh, we have about 700,000 active subscribers. Um, we're doing about 18,000 valuations a month and a couple thousand desktop appraisals a year. So it's a, it's turned into quite a a business. And, um, and with that, obviously now I'm faced with new challenges. So one of those is finding staff. And I think that's another one that a <laughs> lot of people are dealing with these days, but yeah, that's kind of the story. It's uh, I was a very early user of VREF um, basically from its inception. And so I was able to recognize a lot of weaknesses, a lot of things over the years that I thought it could do better. Um, and so I just kept track of that stuff. And I think um you know, a lot of people don't know how small our industry is, but aviation is pretty tiny. So we don't have, even though there's a couple hundred thousand piston aircraft and, you know, about 15 to 25,000 turbine aircraft flying around the world, 75% of the United States, and there's probably only three or 400 active brokers globally. So there's, it's just a very small industry. Um, yeah. So now that you've got, um, you know, again, the the Kelly Blue Book of of aircraft. Um, you know, this is a uh, boy. Just I, you know, you talk about those numbers, but what a valuable audience! So now that you've got this incredibly valuable audience, um, how do you do product development? Like, how do you know where to focus your attention? Um, and and I would imagine that there's plenty of opportunities out there. Uh, from someone who's like, well, you you got some pretty valuable people. I'd like to. Well, that's you know, how do I get right? access? To yeah, that? it's so. I think that's the problem. So, 
it's really difficult actually for me to find appraisers because there's just not that many of them. You know, it's a, it's a very long accreditation process. It takes over a decade before you really even know what you're doing. And then, you know, by the time you're in your designation and pay for it, I mean, it's like, you're, you're so in debt. I find a lot of people just don't do it. There's probably 80 active appraisers globally. And of that, maybe 15 to 20 understand business jets. I mean, it, we're talking such a small number of people. The way I handle it is I just build technology. Um, I spend a lot of time software development. I spend a lot of time bringing in new data. I spend a lot of time making the data um, the best appraisal tool for my own selfish purposes as possible so that I can crank out more appraisals every day. Um, and the staff that I do have is highly trained and, and very difficult to replace. But mm. yeah, I don't know. You know, it's an interesting situation. I think if I was going to grow VREF beyond what it is today, it would either have to come from another industry that is very similar. Um, you know, maybe that is boats or maybe that's mining equipment um, or construction equipment, right? So there's appraisals are needed everywhere. But I think the big advantage we have is that we have the software. And so for me to duplicate that into in another industry would require an acquisition. And it's certainly something that we're open to. I just haven't found um, to be frank, another another VREF that's worth acquiring. I think there's a lot of businesses that think they have data and have these valuations and there's no connection. There's no correlation. I find, um, and as a valuation guy, right, it's very <laughs> difficult for me to get past that. So yeah, I think, you know, there's business owners tend to be so close to it that they don't really recognize A, the weaknesses or B, their strengths. And so I rely heavily on a group of people that, you know, I consider mentors and, um, and I rely heavily on my, my client base to tell me, you know, when we're screwing things up, because I find people don't really share with you when you're doing things great. Uh, they share with you when you're doing things, you know, incorrect or you, there's room for improvement. And I find mm. it's your approach to that. It's very easy to get defensive, but I mean, you know, it is a company and there are multiple people that touch things every day and we are human. So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I like that feedback. It allows me to build a better, you know, product. Where are your business opportunities kind of moving forward over the next year or so um, that, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, kind of just market related or trend related, but um, where, where, what do you see kind of opening up right now? Yeah, that's a great question, Josh. So our industry is at the, um, God, it's been such an interesting 10 or 15 years. We were really beat up. We went from the darling child of, you know, <laughs> right, uh, being on the front page with GM and Ford and Chrysler showing up with their, you know, with their planes right after the Great Recession. And a lot of people sold off their aircraft. A lot of people saw this as a stigma. Um, a lot of people, you know, we'll call them the country club crowd, you know, no one wanted to show up with their jet anymore because you wound up on the front page of the newspaper. And it was a very, <laughs> it's weird because, you know, that was a very Asian culture thing. You know, a lot of, I always get asked, how come there aren't more business jets over in like Japan, for example? And that's because they're very superstitious. You show money, bad things happen. And so, you know, I think that there's still that hangover, unfortunately. I mean, God, to think that it's been that long, it's almost 14 years now, but there's still a hangover in, in aviation, business aviation, especially. We talk about it like it just happened. That's how bad it is. I mean, it's like losing an arm. I try to explain to people business aviation in 2009 was the equivalent to being um, in the horse carriage business. And then this guy, Henry Ford, invents a car right? All of a sudden, nobody wants what you got. And that's exactly what happened. Nobody wanted what we had to sell. Didn't matter what the price was. 
And today, the reason why the market's so crazy is because those aircraft just got the hell beaten out of them in value. I mean, to think that you can buy a long range, $25 million business jet that's not that old for $45 million, that's a huge value proposition. I mean, and so as the market continued to, to basically disintegrate, right? The one thing that started to happen is fewer and fewer got built. There was mm. less demand. The, mm. the fleet started to shrink. We didn't see a lot of aircraft built from 2008 to 2015. It was a fraction of what it used to be. Um, so now you have a fleet that's unnaturally a lot smaller. The demand is through the roof. The banks are lending. You know, there's no, there hasn't been a cutoff. I mean, the interest rates are low. A lot of incentives now. Airlines are pissing people off. I mean, I can't <laughs> tell you how many airline pilots I yeah. do appraisal work for that are buying their own aircraft. I mean, that's a big wow. town. They don't even want to fly on them anymore, <laughs> right? I mean, so it is. It is. I mean, there's something on you know the public freakout subreddit almost daily about daily. bad behavior in daily. the air. You know, so I think that that's the future, actually. I think someone's going to get smart and get wind to this and build a Pan Am again and have an all first class cabin. It's not going to require $50,000 rates like we see on the business jet side to facilitate mm. these trips. I think it's a huge business opportunity. If anybody's listening and they want to be <laughs> Howard Hughes and lose a lot of money, go build an airline that caters to the wealthy, to the people, not even necessarily the wealthy, people that understand that wearing a suit and tie to get on an airplane might be appropriate. You know, I don't understand what the hell happened, but the general public started treating this stuff like it's the Greyhound bus. Yeah. And it's not a very pleasurable experience. And every day you're right. We see somebody get thrown off an airplane. We see a fight break out. I mean, to think that there's fist fights on aircraft is just absolutely insane. But the other thing that's happening too is technology's changing. You know, nothing happened for 20 some odd years. We had no money coming into our industry. R&D was at the point where um, I mean, you can see today what happened. I mean, there was just nothing really exciting going on. Now people are talking about alternative power plants, aircraft are changing, uh, materials are changing, you know, the way that they're manufactured are changing. So for us, I mean, that's the shift. Having a database, this was my long way of getting to what we're doing. <laughs> the, the database has actually been built to handle alternative power plants, for example. We can track mm -hmm. electric aircraft. Um we're also putting more and more stuff into our database. So one of the things that I like to look at all the time is what's going on with the FAA, how many aircraft are coming out of operation. Um, I pay attention to those numbers because there's a direct correlation to fleet size and active aircraft in operation. And then um, how many are on the market and, and how much, you know, that, that data changes day to day really does direct for a lot of, you know, um, it doesn't, doesn't directly influence the data, but there's definitely a correlation between, you know, aircraft values and demand and scarcity. And I think the general public would be fascinated to see how many planes get removed from, uh, from active service every day. I mean, yeah. You I mean, know, I have not heard much about kind of compared to vehicles, uh, electric, uh, electric aircraft. It's crazy. No one talks about it. They talk about supersonic, like it's this thing that's going to happen. It's never going to yeah. happen, guys. I mean, yeah. I can tell you right now, there's there's no chance supersonic is going to happen because there's no demand and no one's going to be able to afford it. And nope. Arian just folded. They liquidated $400 million in assets. So you want to mm -hmm. go into that business? There you go. No, I think the future absolutely is going to be, it's going to, well, so I think things are going to be forced. So one thing that we have right now is a huge pilot shortage. Again, there's not yeah. enough people to fly these aircraft. And so the thing that we have to take into account is the only way to really double up on our existing pilot 
space is to get a lot of single pilot certified aircraft built. Um, the airlines are going to have to shift to some sort of hybrid at some point. Otherwise, I really don't know what anybody's going to do. Um, the corporate side of things is even worse. I mean, it is really tough to find someone to fly a G550. There's not a lot of people that have that type rating. And I think that's another problem or misconception the general public doesn't understand. It's not a driver's license. If I'm a pilot, I can't just go fly any airplane I want to fly. There are type ratings and you have to pay for that. And it's very expensive and incredibly difficult to get. And so a guy that can fly a Cessna 172 with a single engine, he can't fly a Gulfstream. He's, he doesn't have the ability to, nor does he have the license. He has to earn that. And you got to go through the steps to get there. And it is just one of those things right now where unless you're like a dedicated student going through a flight school, like an Emory Riddle Aeronautical mm -hmm. University in Florida, yeah, you're relying on a lot of part-time you know, students, a lot of people that are aspiring to become pilots. It's not going to be a career choice. So, yeah. you know, we've got to switch to single pilots and that's scary. I, well, I mean, I'm really interested in in this, um, you know, literally 20 minutes away from me, uh, they are, uh, Lilium is uh, building a facility for what they're calling air taxis. Right. So um, that's going to be another thing. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. It's this whole shift now that people just don't want to be, you know, it's the airlines, they're, they're really in a huge uh, they get a huge advantage, right? Because they can really just start the clock over whenever they feel like it's. I feel like <laughs> they, they, you know, they clean the sheet over there every ten years or so, and you know, and file bankruptcy, and then they get to start over again. But it's a challenging business. I mean, we take it for granted every day. But every single person that started an airline started with a lot of money and ended with very little. And that is an yeah. old adage in our industry: how you make a small fortune in aviation, you start with a large one. Everyone says it because it's so true. People do it out of passion. People take on restoration projects out of passion, not out of profit. And so airlines, yeah, they're they're tough to build. They're tough to be profitable. Um, air taxis, you know, they're still it, it's still an airline, but it's a much smaller basis, and it's a much smaller, um, easier, more manageable demographic. And so we've seen these pop up now regionally, all across the United States, and they're whether it's a membership program or it's a shuttle type of service. And there's a bunch of them. Surf Air on the West Coast has been around now for probably a decade and a half. They do a great job. Uh, Trade Winds up in the Northeast and the Hamptons, phenomenal operation. They do a great job. Um, Ultimate Jet Charter, they're in Ohio. They move people around in, um, in uh, Dornier 328 aircraft. So they're like shuttle configuration, 35, 40, 50 passenger. That's, you know... I thought that was the future, but for some reason, the general public either never really glommed onto it or the, um, I think the bigger challenge is where these aircraft were flying to and from, right? The routes and airlines are very sensitive, as you know, to routing and where they can make mm -hmm. money and how they can fill seats. It's the same thing with these smaller aircraft. So trade winds, for example, they fly, you know, around the Hamptons. And there's a lot of wealth up there. So it makes a lot of sense. People have disposable income. They're going to spend a couple thousand dollars to fly a PC-12 to go 300 miles. They're not going to get in the car. What's the alternative, right? They're going to sit in traffic. And a lot of those people just, they're not going to do it. They don't have to do it. I mean, it's a mm -hmm. wonderful situation to not have to do it. But if you start looking at pockets of wealth, then within small regional bases, you can see why this is so challenging. That's why there's so few of these that, you know, that wind up working. But 
Yeah, I, you know, the taxi cab, uh, they tried it with the Eclipse. It, it failed miserably. Hopefully oh, no. this next, you know, this next one, let's let's hope. I mean, I would love it. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I'm serious. I mean, I, yeah. I'm, I'm faced with this all the time. Do I go charter a Cirrus, right, for a thousand dollars? Because I'm not going to spend 50 grand to go to, to Texas. I mean, it just yeah. doesn't make any sense. I mean, my uncle's not not Mr. Bezos. I wish he was. <laughs> <laughs> we could have done this on, the, on a spaceship. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason Zilberbrand, uh, again, your website, uh, your personal website is at jasonzilberbrand.com. And then, of course, VREF. Uh, that that one's a little bit easier to spell. Yes, <laughs> you you didn't have as much competition one. for no. jasonzilberbrand.com. Yes, that's it. I actually was able to get that domain pretty quick. The VREF one wasn't so easy. Yeah, yeah. So that's it. Again, VREF.com. Jason, a fun conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Show. If you are a thoughtful business owner or professional who would like to be on this daily program, we have an audience of over 120,000 that we would love to promote your story to. Please visit upmyinfluence.com slash guest. I'm also so excited to announce our new Thoughtful Entrepreneur High Ticket Sales Coaching Program, which you can try absolutely free, no credit card needed. Head to upmyinfluence.com slash free. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you do that, tag us with the hashtag upmyinfluence. Each month, we scour Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We pick one winner from each platform, and you get crowned king or queen of that social media. What do you win? Well, we will promote you and retweet you and reshare you and your business to over 120,000 social media fans totally free. Can you also hook us up in your podcast player right now? please give us a thumbs up or a rating and review. And we promise to read it all and take action. Thank you if you've done this already. We believe that every person has a message that can positively impact the world. Your feedback helps us fulfill that mission. And while you're at it, please hit that subscribe button. You know why? Tomorrow, that's right, seven days a week, you are going to be inspired and motivated to succeed. 15 to 20 minutes a day. My name's Josh Elledge. Let's connect on the socials. You'll find all the stuff we're doing at upmyinfluence.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a part of the Thoughtful Entrepreneur Movement. Thank you.